Okay, the feasts. Today and the next couple, um, I don't know as much about it, okay? I just don't. And I'm no expert on eschatology. But I may know some things that people who do know a lot about eschatology don't know. So we'll talk about that, all right? Um, if you remember, Psalm 89, uh, 15 says, Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied are the people who know the joyful sound, who understand and appreciate the spiritual blessings symbolized by the feast. They walk, O Lord, in the light and favor of thy countenance. That one verse right there is what set me on the path of trying to learn what the feasts were and what they meant because I wanted the blessings talked about in that verse. And it also alerted me to the fact that these things are really important and it's something we do need to understand. Because there is a spiritual experience for each of us in these feasts. It's not just for them, it's for us. Okay, now we've repeated this several times. The nation of Israel was commanded three times a year to gather and celebrate, and they're called feasts, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean they're all just eating all the time. This is a, it's a, a, a ritual that God desired for them to do in order to remember something in their history in their interaction with Him. Alright? That's what they were to celebrate. And they still do that. Okay? They gather in the first, the first month, which is the religious calendar is only seven months long for them. So they gather in the first month, they gather in the third month, then they gather in the seventh month. The first month they gather to celebrate or to commemorate what happened on Passover. You remember what happened at Passover as God was taking them out of 400 years of bondage in Egypt. The death angel came. He saw the blood on the doorposts and the lentils of the house. He passed over. Instead of them dying, they were saved or rescued from that. And uh, immediately they were to move into unleavened bread, which is the next part of the feast of Passover. They were to cook unleavened bread, that means bread with no leavening, no yeast in it. This is also symbolic of Jesus and his perfect life. And uh, then they were to keep, uh, uh, roast a lamb, eat all of, its, uh, all of it, what they couldn't eat, they burned up, none of it could be left. Okay. We know that Jesus is the Lamb of God. So that little lamb represented Christ and his death for us. Then they were to go and celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. After they left Egypt, it took Egypt, God led them out of Egypt. There were as many as a million and a half of them, uh, not exactly certain, but they, God led them out of Egypt, or Moses did, and they came to the Red Sea. And they couldn't cross Pharaoh's army closing in, and they started fussing with Moses and saying, you brought us out in the wilderness to die and all of that, okay? God parted the waters. This also is symbolic. It says something. It's, it's for us, the spiritual fulfillment of, of that would be that we died with Christ, were buried with him. Romans 6 says we were buried with him into his death, but we also were raised with him in his resurrection. So the old person died, passed away, and was raised with Jesus. That's the new creation. That's who I am. That's who you are as a new creation. 
That's what happened to you. Whether you know it or not, that's what took place. It also talks about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. <clears throat> and then it took them three days to get to the Red Sea. Jesus' body was in the tomb three days. I, you know, I, I, there's so many details, I can't even get into all of it. But they're to commemorate every year their passage through the Red Sea and what God did. We commemorate it, spiritually speaking, or experience, uh, experientially, through water baptism. Death, burial, and resurrection. You go down, you come up, you're unified, identified in Jesus' resurrection. Fifty days from that point, they came to the base of Mount Sinai where Moses went up on the mountain, the, the Ten Commandments, the law was given. Uh, all of the stuff that happened there, the fire, the smoke, uh, their rebellion, uh, 3,000 of them died there that day. Uh, uh, so they're to remember this. That correlates to the Feast of Pentecost, which happens exactly 50 days after first fruits or after Passover. 50 days exactly. You remember, Jesus, after he was raised, he appeared for 40 days to over 500 people before he ascended into heaven. He was raised, but he was in his resurrected body. He appeared to people. They saw him, and in his last words to his disciples were, go over to the city of Jerusalem and wait. At the end of that 40-day period, he, he, he ascended into heaven. They went to Jerusalem. They waited for 10 days before the coming of the Spirit on Pentecost, exactly 50 days. So the New Testament, the fulfillment of that feast happened on Pentecost. This is really ringing on Pentecost. Uh, now, beyond Pentecost, that's in the third month. Beyond Pentecost, there are three other feasts, or really one, but another three and one feast to keep. That is the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, Feast Day of Atonement, and then there's the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. Obviously, this speaks of some things, folks. It speaks of the, of the ministry of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus in Passover. It speaks of the revelation of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. They didn't know that back then, and, they, and most Jews still don't know that. They don't know the reason they're doing that, really. Just to remember and thank God for the events is all they know. But it's a revelation of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. There's going to be a further revelation of God the Father in Tabernacles. The Son, the Spirit, the Father. The Son, the Spirit, the Father outer court in Moses' temple and in, the, in uh, David's temple and in the tabernacle. Outer court, inner court, holy of holies. Outer court where uh, sacrifices were made, where there was the, the priest washed their washings and cleansings. Uh, it was the brazen altar of sacrifice out there. Everyone actually was invited to be a part of that. They couldn't go any farther, but they could come into the outer court of the temple. That represents Jesus and his sacrifice for us. The inner court represents the Holy Spirit. Inside this part of the, of the temple or the tabernacle were the, the oil, the table of showbread, the supernatural light that came from the oil that never ran out. Uh, all of this stuff is, is talking of the Spirit of God, of revealing the Spirit of God. Holy of holies is where the Father is. That's the revelation that's coming. Outer court, inner court, holy of holies. Jesus, Spirit, Father. Multitudes of uh, stuff. 
uh, Mount Goshen, Egypt, Mount Sinai, wilderness, Mount Zion, promised land, the city of the living God. You have not come to, to, you have not come to Sinai, Scripture says. You have come to Zion, the city of the living God. That's our, that's our future, is a revelation of God the Father and all that God is going to do in the last days. Listen, I'm, I'm certain that none of us are completely right about eschatology. Not one single person is fully correct on what's going to happen in the end times. I'm absolutely certain of that. No one knows for sure, including me. I just know a lot more than most. <laughs> I really don't. The, the, the honest truth is, there are people who have studied eschatology, this is the, the study of the end times, the doctrine of end times things, have studied it all their lives. Their whole careers are spent studying eschatology and writing about it, speaking about it. Many, many people. I, I frankly never saw the fascination since you start out from ground zero and it says no man knows. So that kind of puts a damper on my even wanting to know if I can't know, right? But people do that. And there's all kinds of theories, every sort of theory you can imagine that's available out there. The, the most prominent ones um, most of you have heard about and probably grew up with, according uh, to what kind of church you were in, and you, were, you never kind of didn't even question the fact that this is the way things are going to be. So I'm no expert on eschatology, and I admit that to you. And a lot of people know a lot of things I don't know about eschatology. I'll admit that. But I also might know some things about my Father God that they don't know. And what I know about my Father God trumps everything they know about eschatology. Because listen to me. Your understanding of God, your view and understanding of who God is and what he's like dictates to you to some extent what your eschatology is going to be like. It just does. That's why there's going to be a revelation of the Father. That's why the, 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 the crowning thing that's going to happen in the end times is God. God is going to happen. Now, I know some things about these feasts, a few things. I, I really listed them for you in the, in, the, in the bulletin there, and I don't really need to go over a lot of that. I, you know, uh, there's a few, few things. I know it's going to be a great harvest time in the end times, in, in tabernacles. Uh, that's talked about. Uh, Joel talks about the early rain. That's around uh, Pentecost season. There's an early rain at that part, that time of the year, where there's a good harvest. But that's only the early rain. The latter rain comes at the end. Um, there, J Joel talked about the early and the latter rain coming in one month. I'm talking about R-A-I-N, the rain. Coming in one month. 
That indicates that there's going to be a tremendous harvest. Well, what does that mean? Well, Scripture tells us every time, harvest means people. Sheaves mean people. He that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Talking about people, human beings. There'll be multitudes of people, I'm certain, that will come to belief in Christ in the last days. Now here's another interesting thing. When they, when the nation of Israel passed through the Red Sea, went, they really for 40 years circled Mount Sinai. They never got a whole, that much distance from it, actually. They just kind of go around in big old circles. Now the promised land's over there, it's northward. And eventually, to get them to go northward, it says that God sent leanness into their souls and sent them forth. Until that generation, almost all the people in that generation died off, the new ones decided they wanted to go in. And they did. They, they stayed in the wilderness for 40 years. And then, under Joshua, went into the promised land. The promised land for us is, well, I guess we're kind of already in it, those of us that know the Lord, that walk with Him and have faith in Him. But there's more to come than what we have, okay? There's been 40, roughly more, a little bit more, 40 jubilees, 50-year periods of time. This is also in, in, in the history of Israel. That every jubilee year, the land would lie fallow, all, all this celebration would happen, uh, debts were canceled, all kinds of things happened in the year of jubilee. A great, great time. 50, uh, 40 jubilees and a little more has passed since Jesus came. The first time. So, we're getting on down the road, folks. We've been in the last days quite a long time, ever since Jesus, really. So, it's been a little over 2,000 years. It's 40 Jubilees. So, if I were you, I would kind of start looking up a little bit. Because there's some things happening. There, there's some consensus of opinion now. I mean, a friend of mine and I talked. Uh, he, he wrote something in a blog recently that my heart resonated with. When he said, I, there's something in the air. He said, there's something. He's a, he's a grace guy. He said, there's something in the air. There's, there's an anticipation of something about to change. I think he's right. He says, I'm no longer afraid of that at all. Now I eagerly, eagerly anticipate the revelation of what we call God. I said, I am too. Something is happening. Something's going on. Something's different. <clears throat> okay. Let me just give you some lists. Uh, here, here's a scripture. John 4, 45 says this. So when he came to Galilee, Jesus, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feasts. So I'm saying Jesus went to the feasts. They went to the feasts. This is not something I'm making up. It, it actually happened. 
and Jesus did something at the feast that they saw. Can I tell you that Jesus always does something at these feasts? If you receive, if you receive Jesus, receive the Spirit, receive the Father, if you receive, things happen in your life. It's, it's to be a spiritual experience. Uh, number, numbers 10, 1 through 10, talks about what they're to do on these feasts. You can read it for yourself at, at, at the, the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, Moses was to prepare two trumpets made out of one piece of silver divided in two. These two trumpets were identical, made out of uh, pure silver. I believe those two uh, trumpets, uh, silver is the, represents redemption in, in the New Testament. These two pieces of silver were to be identical, made out of beaten silver. One represents Jesus, redemption. The other represents his bride, the church. And there they have the same um, makeup. They are made out of the same thing. They are one yet not one. And so they were to blow these trumpets for various reasons. I, I can give you a list. There's a lot, long history of trumpets in the Bible. Let me give you a, some list of things that the trumpets were to do. Uh, before we get to that, another interesting thing is this. Who blew the trumpets? Well, Aaron, the high priest, and his four sons, the five of them, were the, were the ones who blew the trumpets. It's interesting that the names of, of Aaron's four sons, and Aaron himself, represent, these names mean certain things, and these certain things correspond beautifully with the fivefold ministry of people that's talked about in Ephesians 4. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. These names represent these offices. I mean, it's quite remarkable, actually. Now, these people were given, according to Ephesians 4, these offices, uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, these offices, these people were given to the church until and for the purpose of building the church up in understanding and in unity and in a knowledge of God. That's what they were to do. Until we come to the unity of the Spirit, come to mature people, not tossed about by every wind or wave of doctrine that comes along. We're settled, we're, we're un we understand, and we're at rest, and we're ready to do something. That's what these people were given to help equip the church. I believe those offices are still in operation. I'm talking about individual people. I'm talking about the offices. You may hold one of those offices and be gifted in one area and not even know it. You don't, you don't know you're an evangelist. That's just what you do. You don't know you're a prophet. Really, that's just what you do. You don't know you're an apostle, but that's what you do. So th this also is going to be happening in the last days. Where the, one of the trumpets is called to assembly. Called to come together. Uh, assembly doesn't mean just being in the same room. When, you, when something is assembled, it's assembled out of its various parts. You can have a car in a big pile of parts, okay, in a pile. Well, it's a car, but it's not a car. It has no function. It can't do anything. Well, the same thing is true as God in the last days begins, the Spirit begins, and through, through, through the voice of the prophets and the apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers, the church can come together to assemble to where we can get some stuff done, where we can get a lot done. 
where, where great exploits can be accomplished through the people of God. That's one of the calls of trumpets is to assemble. There's a trumpet of gladness and joy. There will be tremendous amounts of worship and praise. It's, it's what you'll want to do. It's, it'll be, and it already is, isn't it? Uh, we love to worship. We, we, I, I do love to praise God. It does something to me. It, it's a, also a, um, a season of gladness, happiness. Um, more than happiness, gladness. Uh, glad about whatever is happening. Uh, so it's not a heavy time. It's a celebratory time. I'm going to let y'all out early today. Okay, this is really what I came to say today. Your understanding of God will dictate to you in some measure what your eschatology is or your beliefs are concerning the end time. For most people, I'd say the most popular, widely held view of the end times is a pre-tribulation rapture of the church where the church is taken out, followed by the great tribulation where people left are pretty much tormented day and night by something or someone. The Great Tribulation, as viewed by many, it's, it's a horrible time. It'd be during that time where you're trying to fight not to take the mark of the beast and all the, you know, all the things that uh, that you, you'll die if you deny Jesus. Uh, you, you, you'll be beheaded. Uh, there's all kinds of things that part of that tribulation that's just difficult to receive, to think about. And the burden's on you, by and large, as a believer, to make sure your family, your friends, and those around you do not have to go through the tribulation, so you have to get them saved before Jesus, before the church is raptured, or they are going to be in for it and probably will end up in hell. Your responsibility. That's a pretty big load for people to carry, isn't it? Okay. The church takes out, everybody else gets blasted. Mm. I, I don't think a God like that is one that I want to know. I don't. And I don't believe it. Listen, Jesus is the express image of the Father. You don't need to look anywhere else to find out what God is like than Jesus. Matter of fact, you have a responsibility not to look anywhere else except to Him. He is the revelation of God. 
Jesus is. Did he ever torment anybody? He, he rarely even failed to heal anybody that asked him. He was the exact opposite of that, actually. He loved people. He cared about them. He led them and served them and raised them up. Little children came and sat in his lap and felt welcome. And for good reason. He gave that off. People were, were attracted to him. People that didn't even know him or understand who he was could see him a long way off. And they would come. Why do you think all these people were coming to him? Because they felt something. They felt love. They felt acceptance. They felt something that was very attractive to them. Nah. God's not like that. Now let, let me say this to you. If you don't get anything else out of today other than this, get this right here. Jesus did not come to change God's mind about you. Jesus did not come to change God's mind about you. His mind did not need changing about you. He's known you from the foundation of the world. He knew you before your mom and dad ever got together. You understand that? He's known you and loved you for eternity already. You've, you're accepted in Him already. You've already been reconciled to God, whether you know it or not. He loves you. God's opinion of you hasn't changed. Jesus did not come to change God's mind about you. Jesus came to change your mind about God. That's what He came to do. And if you look at him and study him, you'll see a revelation of the Father that many, of, many, many, most people have never seen. I guarantee you, if you were there, he walked into a room, you'd go right to him. You'd go right to him. One of the worst doctrines ever perpetrated on the church, which is widely believed, and I did too. This is what I was taught. So, is the penal substitutionary atonement theory, which says that God was angry, so angry at people that he killed his own son instead of killing them. You didn't get killed because God killed him. God tortured him so you wouldn't have to be tortured. I don't know that I want to hang around a God that would do that. I wouldn't do it. God's better than I am. I wouldn't do it. Now, God wasn't torturing Jesus. He wasn't angry at Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God wasn't angry at Jesus for your sake. He wasn't angry at you either. 
He didn't punish Jesus. He loves Jesus. He was one with Jesus. The Father and I are one. I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. We're in you. I mean, they're one. You understand? God didn't separate himself from Jesus. He died with him. You know what I mean? He was there. God wasn't punishing Jesus. He was punishing sin. And he... Jesus looked at the Father when he said, he's about to give up his spirit, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he gave up his spirit. God didn't withdraw from Jesus. God wasn't absent from Jesus. He didn't withdraw his presence from his son on the cross in his death. He was there. The reason Jesus said that is because he was now seeing, because sin was upon him. He took the sins of all the world upon himself. And that changed the way he saw things. He, he saw things like we do, or we did now, with sin upon him. He, just, he, beca- he became a sinner for you. A sinner. So as a sinner, he felt forsaken. But he wasn't. That's just the way he felt, with sin on him. God didn't punish Jesus. He didn't punish you either. So your view of God makes a big difference on how you look at everything. And I'm absolutely convinced that a revelation of God the Father in the last days is going to change the world. He's irresistible. When you see it, you want to run to him too. You never want to be away from him. You never want to, you never ever want to spend a moment in your mind outside of his presence, even though you can't get away from him anyway. He's always there with you anyway, whether you like it or not. You're not going to be raptured out of here either. In my opinion. I think it's all one event, not two separate ones. And whatever Jesus does at his coming, the end game of that is that everybody end game for him is that everybody comes to believe. That's his end game. It is not God's will for any to perish, but that all should come. That's his will. That's his desire. That's his hope. Well, God pretty much gets done what God wants done. You understand? And if that's his will, that's his desire, that's his hope, that's what he's going to do. That's why I'm saying there's going to be a whole bunch of people come to faith in Christ in the last days. Bunches of them. Bunches of them. God doing things that only God can do. God doing things through us that only God can do. God doing things in the nation only God can do. God God doing things that only God can do. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Don't you spend one moment being afraid or fearful about what's coming. That doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. doesn't mean it's you know, going to sail straight down life's highway and never a left turn. That's not going to happen. 
There's going to be all sorts of stuff. But God is with you. God will be with you. God will equip you. God will grace you. And you'll have this ongoing sense that uh, things are building and things are happening and you're going to start hearing things. You'll start hearing things. This something happened that's kind of unexplainable over here and then this is going to happen over here and that will happen over there and it gains momentum. And the biggest voice in all of this, the, the biggest um, voiced truth in all of this is that God loves you. That'll be, the, that'll be the message. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Do not be afraid. God loves you. Do not be afraid. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. So I'm blowing a trumpet today. There are people all over the earth, slowly but surely, who are beginning to raise their voices about grace, about God, the Father. All over the place. I've always told you, grace is going to have its day outside of the organized church, probably. It'll operate outside the organized church because the organized church won't allow it. A lot of it won't. But there's going to be more and more and more and more and more. And the church is going to become much more organic, less organized probably, more organic, more New Testament, New, uh, New Testament early church-like, where all this happens dynamically without a whole lot of organization. It just takes place. <laughs> okay? All right, I'm done. Stand up. <clears throat> I'm old, therefore, I'm going to start saying what I think. <laughs> Agree or disagree, I don't care. You could be right. You know, you could be right. I don't know for sure. Can you imagine a 15, say 15-year-old boy or girl, teenager, grew up in a pretty bad home, never went to church, never heard about God. At this point in life, don't even know about God or care about God. Probably wouldn't even believe in God. If somebody said, do you believe in God? I'd, you'd say, I don't know. I don't, I don't care. I don't know. Whatever. And you're telling me that 15-year-old boy or girl, if they were to die, never heard the gospel, never went to church, never had a chance, nobody ever said anything to them, certainly no, no models in their lives of any sort of God-like thing, and they die, car wreck, whatever, And you're telling me that God is going to send them to a place of eternal conscious torment forever burning, suffering, screaming, gnashing of teeth, crying forever and ever. 
that's the case I'm out I'm out I'm out I don't have anything to do with it nothing you say well you don't believe in hell I'm pretty sure I don't believe in it even close to the way you do even close I don't mean that there's not a hell. You just need to check about who it's for. God's better than that, folks. He's a lot bigger than that. He's a lot better than that. common sense, uh, common religious practice would tell me that my daddy's in hell. I've known for a long, long time that he's not. He's not. He's all right. The spirit and the bride are still saying, come. This is after. This is after death. This is after the end times. Come on. Come on. The spirit and the bride, you'll be saved. The spirit and the bride in concert will be saved. Come. 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 And boy, will they ever come. Nearly all. Nearly. Some won't. Never will. Some refuse to believe and always, they never will, no matter what kind of evidence they have. Can't change their mind. A lot of them will. I'm not saying there's no hell. I'm saying I don't see it like most people do. The reason I don't is because most people never looked at it, ever considered anything different. Well, you need to consider it differently. Your idea of hell, by and large, is a Western concept born out of Dante's Inferno. He wrote the book on hell. It's not in Scripture, but it's in Dante's Inferno. So you might ought to take a look at it. I'm just saying, it might change your life. Just, just, just take a look. I told you I was going to say what I mean. All right? Eternal conscious torment. You know, God's love rejected feels like fire. Did you know that? God's love rejected feels like fire. It feels like it burns. God's love would burn you if you don't receive it. It thrills you when you do. Burns you when you don't. There's, a, there's an element to it that's power so powerful you can be in torment and you can stay in torment as long as you want to because that's what God's love will feel like to you rejected received 
<laughs> it gets life. Wonderful life. Well, Lord, I, there's so many mysteries in all this. Father, I, all of us, none of us know, really. But Lord, I, I know this much. I, I know you want us to anticipate what you're going to do or you wouldn't have laid this out to start with. You wouldn't have showed as much as you have if you didn't want us to look at it and anticipate it and move toward it. So Lord, that's what I want to do. I want to move in concert with you. I want, to, I want to be in lockstep with you. I want to see what you see. I want to know what you know. I want to be a part of all that you're doing. And I want everyone to be a part of that. And Father, so we pray, we receive by faith that you love us, that you care about us, that we're secure, we're safe, and that whatever we walk through, you're going to be with us. And that you're going to be doing things that only you can do. And we just praise you and glorify you today, Father, for your goodness. Thank you that you did know us before the foundation of the world. I pray for peace and rest and hope and blessing in Jesus' name over everybody here and everybody not here. Amen.